0: Okay, we're in the early chapters of the first book of Samuel. This is kind of the origin story of Samuel, and it takes, time, it takes place during a time called the time of Judges. We're at the tail end of a 400 year period, but a very dark time. God's people have been stuck in cycles of sin. Um, societally, they've gone through many, many iterations of rejecting and ignoring God, and now the corruption has really reached everywhere, including the priesthood, including. The, um, those charged with being good shepherds and shepherding God's people into life and truth. We've seen the abuses in the first two chapters that are manifesting themselves. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. That's a refrain that comes out of the book of Judges. It's a time of darkness and chaos. And sometimes when we're going through dark times in our lives and corruption and abuse and scandal pervades our news feeds. It can be really tempting to think that God is distant or absent, or God has kind of left us to our own devices. But these early chapters in Samuel actually teach us through the eyes of faith to recognize that God is working even during times of darkness, even when the horizon of possibility, you know, you look out it and you're like, I don't really see how we recover from this. I don't see how I recover from this. I don't see how we bounce back. That's part of what the Advent season is reminding us that in the darkness, God is at work planting seeds, bringing about love, joy, peace, hope. And one of the lessons that comes out of 1 Samuel, I think, and it's a lesson that dovetails well with Advent, is the darker it is, the easier it is to see the light. So when we go through dark, dark times, one of the the flip of it in a positive way is that it actually helps us to see Jesus, the light of the world, with a different kind of clarity. In chapter 3, we continue to see Samuel's story unfold. Verse 1 says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, that was the priest, and in those days the word of the Lord was rare, and there weren't very many visions. So, this is the third time in Samuel where we're told that Samuel... Ministers before the Lord, so he's kind of like a temple helper. He sets things up and tears things down and moves things around, and he's probably somewhere around 11 or 12 years old, so a tween. It says the word of the Lord was rare, and that word rare there means highly value, valued. It's a Hebrew word, um, yikar, and it's something that is incredibly scarce, and because it's scarce, it's really valuable. There wasn't a book of scriptures like we have, and so people relied on prophets who had messages from God revealing who God is, who they were, how they're called to live, what they're called to do now at this um, juncture in their history, but it was rare. God had retracted his communication in part as judgment on the nation who felt like, we don't need God, we can we can figure this out on our own. God has brought us here, thank you very much, high five God, we'll take it from here. And God, as a kind of punishment, has said, okay, Right, like a, Maybe like a teenager who's kind of like, I know, I've got it all figured out. God's like, okay, go for it. So there's been a retraction. And there's even a poetic sort of um, indication of this. In verse 3, where Samuel kind of lives in that temple area, that tabernacle area, it says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. But it was just about to go out. And the lamp had to be lit from the evening until the morning. And so what's about to happen happens in the morning. But it also happens when the light provided by God was almost out. It was a dark time. In verse 4, God called Samuel. And Samuel said, here I am. And he runs to Eli and says, I'm here. What would you call me about? And Eli says, oh, I didn't call you. Like, you just had a dream. Go back to bed. So goes back to bed. Verse 6, again the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Dude, I heard you the first time. Like, here I am. And Eli's like, no, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. And then in verse 7, interesting, it says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel had participated and seen and observed lots of worship. He was surrounded by... um, Well, he was kind of in the religious machine, as it were, of Israel. But he didn't know God. He didn't know how to identify God's voice. He hadn't had a personal experience with God. God was still sort of an abstract thing for him. And there's a lesson there for me that you can be surrounded by Christianity. You can go to church. You can grow up in a Christian home. You can. Uh, go to summer camps and and go to uh, Christian schools, but none of those things mean that you know the Lord. Those are good things. And they're scaffolding that are designed to sort of prop you up and help you access the, the voice of God and point you towards God and nudge you towards God, but you can do all of those things and not out of resistance, just out of ignorance, be like, yeah, God's like an idea to me. And to know God certainly as a Christ follower means to have come to a place where you're not just participating in religious stuff. You're not just kind of like, okay, I got to straighten up and fly right and adopt a moral code and be a better person and start going to church. Those aren't bad things, but that's not the same thing as what it means to know the Lord. To know the Lord means a personal surrender. That at some point there's a reckoning where you're like, I am kind of trying to do this thing on my own. I'm trying to do what's right in my own eyes. And I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow the Lord of Light. I want to follow the Author of Life. I'm try, I'm tired of trying to save, I'm tired of trying to save myself. I need a Master and a Lord and a Savior. A third time, the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel and Samuel got up, went to Eli, and said, "Here I am. You called me." And I love this. This is easy to miss, but I love the fact that God is so subtle in his communication with Samuel. Even after three times, Samuel is still like, what is Eli going on about? Is this like a practical joke? And I think that's really helpful for us to think because we often imagine if God were to speak to us, it would be booming and obvious and the heavens would split and the voice of God would reverberate through us like a Thx ultra boost thing at a movie theater when you feel the sound inside of you. And there are a few times in Scripture where that happens to people. But I would argue this is a bit more the normative template. That God just keeps gently giving an impression but it actually sounds like something sort of familiar to us. It sounds like something kind of mundane. And it takes a while for us to get to the point where we realize wait a minute, something else is going on here. I love that God just speaks, but it's so gentle. It's kind of like breadcrumbs. Eli says, um, the Lord is calling you. So Eli says to Samuel, go back and lie down. And then if you hear it again, when he speaks to you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place and he said, the Lord came and stood there. And the um, Jewish interpreters Are kind of mixed on whether that's like a theophany where there's a visual representation of God's presence, he came and stood there and speaks, or whether that's just a um, sort of an idiom for drawing closer in a very intimate, personal way. But either way, God gets up close. And Samuel said, and he calls out to Samuel twice, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel says, Speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Now we might culturally hear that and be like, well, that sounds kind of good, like tingling ears, like maybe something that sounds like really interesting or neat or gets us excited. But tingling ears in the Bible has a very different connotation. It's actually used in 2 Kings and Jeremiah when there is an especially severe judgment about to be pronounced. So it's sort of like the the bang of a loud explosion near you, and you have the ringing in your ears, and you're like, "Ooh, that's that's hard to hear." I'm kind of concussed because of that. That that's the that's the weight of what God is saying to Samuel. Now we can hear that, and again, we live in an age where there's such a conflation with anything to do with God's judgment. And the fact that, well, God must just be mean-spirited and, and grumpy and looking for any excuse to just um, take out His judgment and wrath and condemnation on us. But again, remember the story. Israel is stuck in a cycle of sin. There's huge darkness, there's brokenness. And what God is saying, I've come and I'm judging that darkness. I am not okay with this darkness, these cycles of sin, this stuckness continuing. So I love... My people, I love my name and my glory enough that I'm actually intervening, right? If you're um, a parent and you, and you walk into a room and, or the kid's room and it's a pigsty, right? A lot of us will appropriately bring judgment to bear against the untidiness of the room. You're not bringing judgment to bear against the child necessarily, but you're saying, this, this is not okay. So now we're having an intervention and we're cleaning house. Because this is not acceptable. We shouldn't live in conditions like this. And that's what God is doing. He's saying, I've had enough. This is not okay for this story of darkness to keep playing out like this. And He says in verse 12, at that time I'm going to carry out against Eli everything I spoke about, spoke against his family from beginning to end. I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about His son's blaspheming God, and he failed to restrain them. Remember Hophni and Phinehas? They're priests, but they're abusing their power. They're mistreating. They're involved in all kinds of sexual scandal. They are drunk on a sense of power mixed with untouchability. Our dad's the priest. We're in charge. God is basically off the radar. We get to do whatever we want. And there's nobody above them. There's no police force. There's no judiciary that can bring judgment to bear. So God says, Samuel, I have a message for you. That I am going to exact judgment because Eli, while he told his sons, like, I really, you shouldn't do that, he was more than content to benefit from it personally. Eli and his sons had committed sort of a high handed, flagrant sin. It wasn't a mistake. They were actively, repeatedly abusing and mistreating God's people. They were bad shepherds. They had authority and responsibility to shepherd people into life and protect them and they're doing the exact opposite. And Like we talked about last week, there's something about people who abuse their power and leverage their power not to serve other people, but to mistreat them and to get ahead personally, that particularly just makes God furious. And it should make us furious too when that happens, in churches, in work contexts, in our families. If you have influence and authority over other people, it's God-given in order to bless and serve and help other people. Not to simply lord it over them and you extract from them or through them what you desire. Verse 14, Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. I love that the text says, Samuel went back to bed, had a good night's sleep, then he kind of restarted his day. No, he just lies there. God drops a bomb. He's like, I got a message for you. Go to Eli and say, everything that I told him is totally happening. His line's ending. I'm, doing, I'm cleaning house in Israel. And he got this little 12-year-old tween boy. He's like, just wide. I stared at the ceiling for like, who knows how long, three or four hours, right? Just playing, how is this going to go? Why is God tapping my shoulder for this? Eli called him and said, Samuel, and Samuel said, here I am. Eli's like, what did he say to you? I'm super interested to know. What did he say? And then it's not... It's alluded to in the text. I think it's there, but it doesn't say it. But there's a pause. Samuel doesn't say anything. And Eli's like, don't hide it from me. Samuel's like, there is no way to spin this. I can't side right in his mind. He's like how do I say this without like saying it? And Eli's like, no, whatever God told you, just bring it. And he says, actually, I want God to deal with you, even if it's severely, if you hide from me what he told you. So Samuel tells him everything. Samuel's talking to one of the most powerful people in all of Israel right now, politically, socially, religiously, delivers the message. That's a lot of courage. And then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is right in his eyes. That's amazing on a few fronts. Number one, that Eli still has the humility to recognize that he's God. God's in charge. I'm not in charge. My sons and I aren't in charge. Like God's in charge. And we've had a lot of years where Israel's been doing what seems right in their own eyes. And now it's time for God to do what's right in his eyes. That's, that's a fair judgment. That's a right judgment. And props to Eli, because he knows what that means. For not just Israel, but for his family. Verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And that's a Hebrew idiom, meaning if you were a false prophet you would speak things and say, God told me this and this is going to happen. In Israel, God's calling us during this next season to make this a priority. But if those things didn't come true, you would say that the prophet's words fell to the ground. They didn't have power. They were just kind of like bleh. But when God communicates to Samuel, all of his prophecies, all of his uh, instruction, none of it falls to the ground. And so what happens is people begin to realize, wow, Samuel is being set apart. He was sort of being, acting as like a little priest, but now he's being set apart as a prophet. One who's going to restore us so that we can hear from God and then do what God wants us to do. And every time it happens, his word lands, it sticks. And people are like, wow, yeah, God is really speaking through. At first, this tween, and then this teenager, and now this young man, and verse 20 says, And all Israel, from Dan, that's the northernmost city in Israel, to Beersheba, that's the southernmost. So it's kind of like northeast, south, but all over it, from the farthest reaches, but where Israel had territory. Everybody recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there He revealed Himself to Samuel through His Word. Amazing. So, so cool. Two quick takeaways that I think are really, really important for us. Number one, um, you you can't get to a passage like this and not talk about the importance of God's Word. The Bible correlates times of darkness with an absence of God's Word. The more absent God's Word is in the life of His people, the higher, the, the greater the darkness encroaches. And then when God's Word comes, it illuminates, it brings a light, it pierces the darkness... And the more revelation God's people have from God and walk in it and are obedient to it, the darkness recedes. And you're seeing that turning point happen for Israel right now. Dark, 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 and now a candle. It was almost out, but now a candle. It's going to burn a little bit brighter and a little bit brighter. And as that gets bigger, the darkness gets pushed back. And I hope we can see the relevance of that for each of us. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, we need to be in and exposing ourselves to the Word of God. These are people who didn't have scriptures, or maybe in the early formative stages of some of the books that preceded. They had stories from Joshua and stories from Genesis. but they did, you know, when we hold up a Bible. I mean, you're holding up all like all of God's revelation, all the books in a little pocket form. You can take it anywhere. It's on your phone. And I know that we don't know what we don't know, and so you can take it for granted, and you can kind of think, yeah, people have always had this. That is not normal in terms of Christian history. There's Christians today who would give their right arm to have access, to have one Bible, like just one in their native tongue. Forget about the 12 that I have in my office, and on my phone, and all the commentaries, and all, all the supports. Christians for thousands of years have emphasized getting into the Word of God. and I know that's complicated, but you can use an app like Through the Word that actually curates your introduction to the Bible. You, know, you don't just start in Genesis and read and hope you can figure it out. It says, start here, read this. It gives you guidance. Um, there are so many resources that will help you wade into those waters, and that's so, so important. Because where there is God's revelation, there's light, and there's hope, and there's joy, and there's peace. We're so blessed to live in a time where the Word of the Lord is not rare. And I, you know, I just want to remind myself and remind you to take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. Secondly, I'd want to emphasize that this passage shows us something very particular about the character of God. And it shows us the kindness and the goodness of God. When I first read the passage, I usually read it 10, 15, 20 times on Sunday and Monday and just try to steepen it. And immediately I'm kind of drawn to like, well, there's like Samuel, God speaking to them and lots of Christians wanna know things like, does God still speak like that today? How do I hear the voice of God? Um, What does the voice of God sound like? Is it like an audible voice? Is it an impression? And there are lots of resources out there. I'll include a few good articles that I found uh, over the last few weeks in this upcoming Friday Summit newsletter. But we can leapfrog over something even more important when we jump to the kind of the application of the text. Samuel heard from God. How do I hear from God? Not a bad question. But there's something that we should ask before that, whenever we're studying anything in Scripture, and that is, what does this story, what does this Scripture teach me about who God is? About His character? As someone has said, once you see what Scripture reveals about God we can usually see how that scripture applies to us. When you make the connection and say, look what God is doing here. Look who God is revealing Himself to be. Oh, yeah, I can see the connection. And I'll show you that right now. You can attempt to extract some ideas about how to listen to God's voice. Should you do it early in the morning? Should you be in a quiet place? Should you you know, just enter into prayer times with speak for your, uh, for your servant as listening God? None of those are bad things. But look beforehand, like, what's going on here? God is being so kind and so good. He's not holding a stopwatch over Samuel. Hurry up, let's go. I said it once. Did I stutter? Like, do it. There's no impatience here, even though the cycle is Eli? Nope, go back to bed. Eli, you called me? Nope, go back to bed. He's... God's not giving Samuel like one strike and you're out. You're kidding me. I haven't spoken and now I spoke. I'm not going to repeat myself, right? I've said that more than one time as a parent. I'm not going to repeat myself. I'm going to say this once. And that can happen when you're frustrated. Here's a dark time in Israel's history where if God had God said, I'm going I'm to say something, I've got a message, but I'm only going to say it once. You would have been like, that's kind of justified. But he doesn't. And he's so gentle. God moderates his instructions to Samuel's condition. How do I get my message to a tween, not freak them out, and make sure they hear it and they act on it? It's a whisper. Samuel, maybe it sounded like the voice of Eli at the start. God modifies, he moderates his instructions so that Samuel can hear it and be like, oh, and that's true for us too. God is always moderating. He's always condescending. He's simplifying things. Not dumbing it down, although maybe sometimes in my life I've needed that. But he's simplifying his communication so that we get it. And why is he doing that? It's not just to give Samuel knowledge. Oh, I've got a message. Pass it on. Like telephone. Burp, burp, burp. Here's the message. Eli, you and your house are cruising for a bruising. <laughs> Done. That's it. No, the point is God is saying, Samuel, this is about delivering that message. But the larger thing is, I'm going to now reveal myself to you. I want you to know me. Remember verse 7? Samuel didn't know the Lord yet. God says, I'm going to come down to your level. Right When you're speaking to a little kid, you come down to their level. Why are you doing that? You're creating all the conditions necessary so that that child makes a connection with you. Because it's not just about dispersing information. I can do that up here, and I can talk down to people, but if I want my children or someone to know me, I have to get low. I've got to get in the dirt. I've got to get at their eye level and speak in a way that they're like, oh, I see what you're saying. More than a revelation of information, God wants to reveal Himself to us. But if you understand who God is, how in the world could God do that so that we could really know Him? People in Samuel's day were pumped because they were like, wow, God is real and God is knowable. And we know that because God has revealed Himself to Samuel. No one was saying, well, God should do that to me too. They're like, no, that's that's only what God does with prophets. Only like super spiritual important people. That's still awesome though, because the prophet can tell us how to please God. There's a middleman. Praise God. But you know what would be even more exciting had God's people at this time knew that it was in it was in play is that God is going to reveal himself in a personal way to everybody. And he's going to take out the middleman. And he's going to come in weakness and smallness to a dark and broken and confused world and get very low and say, here I am. And I want you to hear my voice, hear my instruction, but the reason why is I want you to know me. I want communion with you. What could be better than an authorized, on-duty prophet speaking on God's behalf in a personal way so that all God's people could know God in a second-hand way is if God's instruction itself, God's word himself became enfleshed and got close and became accessible. And the the middle man was taken out of it. That's what we're moving towards. That's the celebration of Christmas. Not that God sent another great prophet, but God comes himself. At great cost to himself, not to give us more rules, to fully embody the truth and power and grace of God and then to give Himself as a sacrifice. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And a few verses later, that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the revelation of revelations. Think about what he is. Jesus is the embodiment of all of the truths of God, all the prophecies, all the oracles, all the commands, all the priorities. All the values of the kingdom of God in perfect alignment and prioritization and expression. But he is coming to us in a way that we can grasp, in a way that's accessible, because he wants us to invite, he wants to invite us into life with himself. That's why it's important to understand to be a Christian is not someone who just believes certain ideas, but it's someone who is walking with God in their everyday life they're trying to walk in communion with God in connection with God and sometimes you've sensed that sometimes you don't and sometimes that's easier and sometimes it's harder but that's the heart of Christianity God has come low emptied himself of anything that would cause us to not be able to access relationally his heart and his power and said now come follow me that is the truth that stands at the center of existence the kindness and goodness of God and that we are created for communion with God. Now and then stretching out forever. Eternal life. And Jesus is the way that communion is accessed and secured. And in Him we can be saved from the kingdom of sin and darkness and delivered into a kingdom of light and life. But we must surrender to Him and go beyond religiosity or religious rules and say, Lord, I want to know you personally. Let's pray for a moment. God, may this revelation of your heart, of your kindness and your goodness, not just that you've given us your word, but that the word came near to us. And you sought us out when we were lost and hopeless without hope and without God in this world. And you've called us to new life. May that just sort of hit and land in our bones in a new way this morning, God. Amen.